So about uh, Thursday, I believe it was, of this past week, as I'm preparing for the sermon, I was at a coffee shop in Johnson City, and uh, I was preparing for the sermon, and um, I thought, hey, I wonder what songs we're singing Sunday. And so I looked through the set list, and I started listening to the songs, and uh, you know, I was in the you know, sermon writing groove, and when I get in the groove, like the whole world just disappears uh, around me. And uh, so there I am in this coffee shop, listening to the set list, uh, bopping my head. You know, I had like my had my noise-canceling wireless Studio Beats headphones on. Just kidding. Those are like $400. <laughs> no way. No way. I literally had what is in my pocket all the time, my $10 Walmart cheapies. So I wasn't exactly jamming. I wasn't exactly killing it. I was uh, being able to be heard by everybody because I was cranking up my $10 cheapies. So there I am in this uh, coffee shop, like, I'm just like, we're going to preach it. It's going to be awesome. We're going to sing in the round. And, and like I'm jamming to, you are mighty. You know, and that song we just sang with the, with the girls sing and the guys sing, you know, like, um, I will sing to and worship, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I'm bopping and I notice that there are probably two or three tables of people looking over at me going, what a goober. What, what, is, what is wrong with him? <laughs> um, and so I had just a moment of uh, fear of man creep in. I'm like, oh, sorry, here I am. Let me calm down. But, but, I, but, I, but I noticed that what I was experiencing there was something that just makes my, my, my blood pump. Um, as I'm preparing for the sermon and I'm praying, Lord, use this time for us. Teach us about the mission that you have to save sinners. And I was getting psyched up and I was listening to the music and I, and I realized it was, because, it was because I love to scheme and to dream and to plan and to pray for the mission of God to save sinners through people in this church. This is what I'm called to do. I know it. Because if I'm willing to sit there and bop my head and look like a goober at a coffee shop in John City, and I don't even hardly care what anybody thinks, you know that's the work of God in this guy right here. Because I care way too much about what everybody thinks. And so before we jump into Acts 1 today, I just want to say as a bit of a, you can call this a declaration if you want. um, I just want to say before we jump into Acts 1 today um, that as the leader of this church, as somebody who's, who's, who's given a responsibility to steward um, the gift and to serve this body, um, it will be over my dead body that this church is not on a laser-focused trajectory to become an absolute juggernaut for helping lost sinners find and follow Jesus. This is going to be a place. Get used to it that schemes and dreams and plans and prays for our mission to, to be something that is insinuated through all of this building and this place and these programs and our people and our lives and our pocketbooks and every resource we have and everywhere we are. Because friends, when you take on the mission of God, you begin to realize that everywhere you are is a mission field and everything you have is a mission resource. So we will continue to scheme and to dream and to plan and to pray as if the mission of God for lost sinners matters. And we will take that personally. So the declaration is this. 
If you want a selfish, deadbeat church where it's only about reaching the already saved, or if you want a selfish, deadbeat church where you are allowed to become content with being an unproductive consumer, where you are not pressed to grow to become a fruitful part of God's mission for the lost, then maybe this isn't the church for you. And I'll say it again, because this is real. This isn't just blowing smoke. We've literally had people leave because they're like, it's just too hard to hang out with you, Scott. It's just too much cost to take on mission personally. Uh, they don't say that. They really don't. Um, but they feel it. And, and so this is going to be a place, this is going to be a place where God's mission to save the lost, which was every single one of us once, is something we take personally. All right, moving on. The mission of God to save the lost is something, uh, let, let's establish before we get into Acts here, the mission of God to save the lost is something all Christians agree on. Okay? It's not something that's really up for dispute. Anybody who follows Jesus and knows the basics of who he was and what he came to do for us agrees that the mission of God is something that we all are to take part in. There's a lot of stuff, as most of us know. There's a lot of stuff Christians vehemently disagree about. There are a lot of internal arguments and struggles and things like that. But the mission of God to save sinners is not one of them. I mean, it came straight from the mouth of Jesus, right? Numerous times, right before Jesus uh, ascended into heaven. We're going to show this uh, verse on screen for you now uh, from John 20, 21. Straight from the mouth of Jesus, he said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, meaning in the manner and for the purpose with which he sent me, even so I am sending you. Every follower of Jesus who understands at least the basics of who Jesus was and what he came to do, agrees with this. <laughs> this idea that we are sent by God to take Jesus to the nations. Nobody disputes this basic claim. No Christian basically disputes it. In Mark 16, verse 15, we'll put this on screen for you here too. In 16.15, Jesus said it this way. This is just a couple of a number of places. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Nobody who follows Jesus disagrees with this basic premise that our lives are about the purpose of extending the kingdom of God and his glory to those who don't yet have relationship with him. Christians talk a lot about this, don't we? Like the mission of God for sinners is a high priority. We talk about it, we preach about it, we sing about it, we have t-shirts about it, we have bracelets and bumper stickers and Jesus memes that all communicate this idea that without Christ in our life, we are lost. We all talk about it like it's a high priority and no Christian disagrees with this. But if that's the case, If followers of Christ agree that the mission of God is a preeminent priority in their lives, 
then how is it actually possible that in our country, more than 80% of churches are either plateaued or declining? If all believers agree that we are in a mission to extend the kingdom of God, then how is it when compared with population statistics and demographics, more than 94% of churches in our country are in decline? If all Christians agree that this is a high priority for us and we take personally the mission of God, how is it possible? How is it possible that in one year in the average church in America, in one year in the average Bible-believing evangelical church in America, there's one baptism for every 50 5-0 members? In 2011, half of churches in the United States did not add one new member through conversion growth. The only, the only conclusion I can draw is that apparently <laughs> we Christians in America don't live like we say we believe. Is the problem resources? <laughs> Clearly not. We have more resources available to us as believers than the world has ever known. We've got good teaching available in our pockets. I mean, you can listen to the world's best preachers anytime you want, and you can find them on FCCGreenville.org. I'm pretty famous here, (laughs) but that's probably about it. We have everything we could possibly need to preach the gospel with clarity and with power. And, and so when I, when I read through the account of the early church in Acts, when I read through the account of the early church in Acts, I think to myself, if these folks came back and they look at our current landscape in our country, they would, they would marvel at the Christian infrastructure, sociocultural kind of tools that we have. They would marvel at the books and the training and the colleges and the buildings and the infrastructure. They wouldn't, even, they wouldn't even conceive of what it would look like compared to what they came from. And they would look at our churches, and, and I wonder if they would, even at looking at all this landscape, if they would look at our churches and our country and they'd say, how is it possible? that that churches are not reaching people in their community with the gospel. How is that even possible? I think there are lots of things that we could use as answers to this question. (laughs) It's a multi-factored thing. But I'm going to go ahead and say that I propose that one of the things we're going to learn in Acts 1 here today is that they had one main ingredient we don't. They had one main ingredient we don't, and that's courage. The courage of a simple witness to the work of God in one's own life is all it takes for the Holy Spirit to use it with power to extend his kingdom. The simple power of a courageous 
and a spirit-filled witness could be the difference for us between learning productive Christian living where the life of Christ works in and through and for through us for others the difference between that and being a bump on a log Christian consumer which is what let's be real that's what most Christians in America are bump on a log Christian consumers don't make disciples I'm not making that up is statistically verifiable in every conceivable way. Bumps on a log who do not have courage to talk about who Jesus is and what he's done for them do not make disciples. So we're here to learn. (laughs) We're here to learn together about what it means to be a witness and to look at how the early church did that. And it's, and it's, it's easier than you think. It's just a little bit of courage mixed with the Spirit of God to use it and he will do amazing things. This is how the dictionary defines witness. We'll put this on screen for you in case this may be a bit of a new concept for you. Uh, A witness, according to the dictionary, is an individual who being present personally sees or perceives a thing, a beholder. I I like that idea that that a witness is someone who's a beholder. Christian witness is simply being a beholder of the work of God. If you personally experience God in any form or fashion, then you have seen him work and then you are a witness. It's not rocket science. It doesn't take knowing the Greek. It doesn't require having the right answers or being an expert. Knowing more helps that, absolutely. But knowing more only helps if you have the courage to use what you know. The problem with Christians in America isn't that they know enough. It's that they're not doing remotely enough with what they already know. All it takes is being a beholder of the work of God in one's own life, and you can be a witness. Jump in at Acts 1. A lot of cool stuff to cover here to see how this worked out in the lives of those first believers. Acts 1, 1 through 8 says this, In the first book, meaning the Gospel of Luke, which was written by a doctor named Luke, in the first book, O Theophilus, Theophilus was probably a notable official or a a wealthy patron to whom or for whom Luke might have been writing. Uh, So Luke's an early follower of Jesus, not one of the original 12, but he wrote Luke and he wrote Acts. And it says in the first book, meaning Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with, meaning I've already talked about, I've already written about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So, So right here at this point, Luke is saying Acts, this second volume of Luke Acts, picks up right where Luke left off. But he's pointing this out not merely for sort of literary reasons, as if someone reading Acts needs to just kind of understand the content of what happened in Luke, though clearly that is important too. What he's saying is not just a literary thing. What he's saying is, remember that first part of the Jesus story where Jesus came and he did this and he taught this? Guess what? Now it's your turn. That's why it's called the Acts of the Apostles. We've got the Acts of Jesus in the Gospels, and now we have the Acts of the Apostles in Acts and following. So he's saying in the first book, O Theophilus, I have already dealt with all that Jesus began to teach, to, to do and teach. So check out how the followers of Jesus continued what he began. Verse 2. In the first book, I've dealt with all that he began to do and teach. Verse 2. Until that day when he was taken up, meaning the ascension when Jesus returned to the Father, 
after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. This is referring to the 40 days uh, of Jesus teaching his disciples that happened between the resurrection and the ascension. It was sort of like the disciples seminary time there. He presented himself alive to them. This is some of what's entailed in being a witness, in being a perceiver and beholder of who Jesus is and what he'd done. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering, meaning after the cross, by many proofs. Um, That word proofs there is used in rhetorical language uh, of that day. Uh, It's used in rhetorical logic and debate to describe evidence that clinched the case. And so Luke uses that word on purpose. He's saying this is the kind of thing that closes the case, the proof of Jesus being alive and presenting himself after his suffering, meaning after he died, which was verified by the authorities, and then rose again, which is verified by, as Scripture says, over 500 people in the span of those 40 days. So this was Jesus presenting himself alive. That word presented uh, there. In verse 3, he presented himself alive. Speaks to how Jesus was, was very intentional. This wasn't an accidental thing. He was being intentional in presenting himself to them. So, so he goes up to, to doubting Thomas. He says, look, Thomas, check me out. Look at these. These scars are real. Look and believe. So he's being intentional about that process uh, because they were going to be witnesses who carried on the work that he had started. So, if you're going to be a witness for Jesus, you have to see him in your own life, just like they saw him here. If you're going to be a witness for Jesus, like the first followers who witnessed it and saw it, you're going to have to experience it and see it and perceive it and learn to tell that story of his work in your own life. Now, of course, we can't go back to Acts. Wouldn't that be cool? The setup here is actually a time machine. Um, We can't do that. Um... But we can experience through, as we're going to see here, through the work of the Holy Spirit, through generations, uh, the life of Christ in us, around us, in the lives of other people. Um, I've been in ministry and I have a front row seat to see what happens in a lot of people's lives. And I can tell you that God changes lives. And he does through the power of the Spirit in me in you, and that's how you become a witness in, in terms of the content of the life of Christ to which we are witnessing. So that's kind of kind of what Luke is uh, establishing here in the early verses. Let's keep moving on, 4 through uh, 8 here. While staying with them, before ascending, he lived with them. While staying with them, he ordered them, meaning this wasn't an optional thing, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the Father, which means don't jump into ministry... <laughs> Don't jump into being witness without waiting and praying for the power of God to do his work. Don't part from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, for the Holy Spirit's power, which he said, check this out, you heard from me. This is one of my favorite phrases here. You heard from me because it speaks to a lot. Uh, he, he's saying, I've already told you about this already. I've taught, you, I've taught you about this. I've prepared you for this. The Holy Spirit's going to help you and it's going to be great. But I've already been preparing for you and telling you for, to be prepared for this uh, to take over for me. So he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water for the purpose of repentance, but you, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, John, Jesus is saying here, 
that God is going to do even more through the followers of Jesus than had preceded them. Think about how crazy this is. Jesus, perfect flesh and blood, all at the same time, the power of God in him, working miracles. He says to flesh and blood, people who struggle with sin like you and me, you are going to do greater works than these I've done. Jesus himself says that. He says, this is what I've been teaching you about. This is what I've been preparing you for. This is what I've been showing you about in my own life. If you're a circler or a note taker, you may want to circle. You heard from me there. This is Jesus commissioning the, depo- the apostles, the, the first church leaders, uh, for their mission of spreading the gospel. Now think about this phrase, you heard from me. This is how faith in Christ is passed on. You heard from me. This is what I've experienced. This is the life of Christ in me. I told you about it. You heard it from me. This is how faith in Christ is passed on from one witness empowered by the Holy Spirit to another. Do we, do we need to go over that again? <laughs> from one witness who understands the life of Christ in them, empowered by the Holy Spirit to another. I mean, just think about how it came to be, even in practical terms, that we are gathered here this morning. Sure, some folks put together some songs and, and a bunch of people put in quite a few hours of work to make today happen. But just think about how it came to be that in practical terms, we are here gathered to worship Jesus. In a very real sense, this gathering wasn't called by Chris and the worship band or saying on social media or Facebook or Instagram, hey, come join us. In a very real sense, this gathering today, this very gathering today, your presence in these seats was not planned or called to order by us. Way back in Acts 1, Jesus called us together. Just think about how this works. Jesus himself taught the disciples who taught people of their generation, who taught people of the next 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 generation. We could go on and on and on to, to describe countless names and faces, some we know, the vast majority we don't know who were faithfully witnessing to the work of God in their lives that called us here today. You're not sitting in this seat because you know the gospel by yourself. If someone hadn't told me I'm a sinner in need of saving grace from Jesus and I need his perfect sinless life sacrificed for me so that I could know him forever and be with him in glory forever, I would not be here today and neither would any, any, any of us. 
It's a lie to believe that you got here on your own. And it only happened because of the power of a courageous witness where somebody said, listen, I don't have all the answers, but I know this is what Jesus has done for me. And I know this is what he can do for you. It's the Spirit of God moving through witnesses to Jesus. The kingdom is not established by ordinary means as we think of kingdom. (laughs) It's the Spirit of God that moves through witnesses to Jesus. Now that sounds clear to us. (laughs) We've got thousands of years of Christian history uh, for us to understand. Most of you all have grown up with teaching like this that you follow most of this so far. Um, but it wasn't totally clear yet to even these first uh, followers of Jesus. Uh, check this out here in verses 6 and following. They don't exactly understand what Jesus meant. Uh, and they thought he was going to come and to rule and, and to reign with earthly kingdom power from an earthly throne uh, as they had been hoping that he was going to do. Uh, I mean, think about it for a second. Who doesn't want an all-good and an all-powerful God to come and, and to reign in peace for me, right? Like that'd be, that'd be much easier. Uh, that'd be something that we all hope is going to happen someday because Jesus says it will. But they didn't yet fully understand how this works this side of all that. So look at verses 6 and 7. So when they had come together, the first uh, leaders of the church that were commissioned by Jesus here, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Are you going to establish this earthly reign of peace? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Now notice, notice that right on the heels of asking if he was going to come and, and to, to reign on earth, right on the heels of asking if he's going to come and rule and reign, he says this. This is huge. There's a big shift here. Verse 8, he says, no, 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 no. Not like that. Not yet, at least. Not yet, at least. He says, but you will receive power. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon second use of the word, you. And third use of the word, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The mission of God to move forward happens in power. And it's not something that he just does for us, though it certainly is that someday. It's something he does in and through us. Don't miss the shift here. (laughs) They had just said, Lord... Are you going to restore the kingdom? Are you going to do this now, finally? He says, no, not yet. Not yet. First, you take over. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Friends, you may feel unprepared for this mission. You may feel like you don't have enough years of being a Christian and following Jesus. Maybe you feel like you don't know enough. You're, you're unqualified. Uh, you're unlearned. You're, you're too immature. You're too full, of, uh, 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 too full of sin and shame. But Acts 1, Acts 1 
stands as a lesson in the power of a simple, courageous witness. Acts 1 stands as a way of saying, listen, you can do this. You can do this. It doesn't require uh, special training you may not have. It doesn't require special knowledge. It doesn't require a special office or a title. It just requires the courage, regular old courage, to communicate the work of God in one's own life and let the Holy Spirit do the work in others. It's, it, it's really that simple. I want to close with a story that illustrates um, some of this dynamic. There was a, there was a Chinese farmer who um, had vision problems. And so he had heard about this missionary doctor. This Chinese farmer lived in the far interior of China. And so there's this missionary doctor um, that lived out toward, uh, toward the coast. And so um, this, this farmer went to this missionary and the missionary removed the cataracts from the farmer's eyes and uh, sent this farmer home to the far interior of China um, being able to see. <laughs> so it wasn't just a few days after that when this missionary looked out his bamboo window there uh, from his hut and he sees that formerly blind Chinese farmer walking into the, the window there uh, holding the front of a long rope. <laughs> He's like, what on earth is going on? And he starts to see in single file behind that formerly blind Chinese farmer several other blind Chinese men and women holding on to a rope because this one man who couldn't see now sees and he knows where to go to get the help they need. All he did, all he did was tell them what God had done for him. And they came along. Now, think about this story for just a second. This formerly blind man can't explain anything about the physiology of the eye. He doesn't know anything about the mechanics of, of surgery. Uh, he couldn't explain the techniques, but he could tell others. He could tell others who had operated on him and that now he could see. Now let's be real. That's all people need to hear. All they need is embodied witness. Mixed with a little bit of courage, and the work of God in the lives of people to change hearts. That's why I know Jesus. That's how I got here. And for any of you, this is how you got here. And if, that, if this is a precious gift that you love and you worship Jesus for, all it takes is a little step of courage and faith that God will use to extend His kingdom. You can do this. It's not rocket science. It mostly takes courage and God will use it. Friends, 
we would like to invite you to respond to this message today in whatever way appropriate for you. Um, I want to invite you to come forward. If you're looking for a church home and you're a baptized believer in Christ, uh, for us uh, to be what we call a member is just to stand here as a believer in Christ and say, as a witness, (laughs) Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And we take that as a verbal commitment to being a part of us as we commit to you. Uh, Maybe today is um, an opportunity for you publicly for the first time um, to declare Christ as Lord. We keep the water warm. We got towels and shorts and shirts ready. We're ready for you if that's uh, something you'd like to do today. Um, Among other believers who are here because of the power of witness, um, it's something we'd love to invite you to. Maybe you need uh, some prayer. We would love to do that with you. Um, We have folks who are ready uh, to pray with you. Um, Again, look for the curly-haired lady over there. Um, Her name's Allison. Um, If you have some questions about this, you're not sure what faith looks like, you're not sure about what the work of God is in your life, you're not sure about this, who is Jesus to whom I'm witnessing on the inside, um, we'd love to have that conversation with you. This is a safe place to do that. So, uh, friends, that's what we invite you to as we stand and we sing together.